They're with you. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I just want to read there first. Give you some context. And Hebrews chapter 4. Man, we have a good full house on a hot July day. Wow. They say people don't go to church in the middle of the summer. Thank you for coming today. You know, it feels like the desert out there, doesn't it? Uh, so Deuteronomy, um, this is near This is near the end. Deuteronomy 6 is near the end of, I'm actually going through the book of Deuteronomy in my personal study, which kind of worked great, but I needed to read some Old Testament anyway to give a little context of Hebrews chapter 4. Um, before Israel entered into the promised land, you know they spent 40 years wandering in what? Not a picnic or a park, the desert, hot. 120 degree type days, like crazy hot, then cold at night, but then blazing hot in the day. And those of you guys, we have guys that have served in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. You've experienced some of those kind of crazy heat, or if you've ever been to Death Valley, California, or places like that. This was the kind of hot, miserable hot scorpions, rattlesnakes. There's nothing really attractive about it, you know? Uh, nobody really chooses to kind of build beautiful cities there except for Vegas, but if the water supplies ever cut off, goodbye Vegas, right? You know, but um, that, that, uh, it was just a really hard place. But God had promised them something better, hadn't he? And part of the reason why they were there was because of sin and rebellion. And Moses is getting near the end of his life, and he's saying, here's what is coming your way if you stay with God. Amen? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has, what? Promised you. You and I break a lot of promises. God never breaks a promise. He's promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. I told you this before. The rivers were not made of milk. Right? It was not bubbling up something like honey from the ground. But it was a land that was so rich and God promised rain that it would always flourish and the bees would be there and the flowers would bud and, and the trees would grow and there would be fruit. And because of that, it would have the lushness and sweetness of fresh milk and fresh honey. So it's a metaphor, although really Israel had a lot of, even today, their dairy cows produce more dairy per cow than any cows in the world. It's an amazing thing. Even today, there's a blessing, just little things like that. But there really is this flowing that God wanted to have. But he says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then it goes into the fact that you need to teach these things diligently, verse 7 and 8. I don't have time to read that. Um, but he also has warnings. He also has warnings. Look in chapter 7, verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God. God's going to be faithful. Who keeps his covenant of mercy for a thousand generations with those who what? Love him and keep his commandments. Now verse 10 a lot of people that don't know the Lord yet are not going to like verse 10 at all. But we're going to read it anyway because God's not apologizing for verse 10. And he repays those who hate him to their face. Wow. To destroy them, he will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Everybody's shaking their fists in God's face in America. We'll meet him face to face. You do not want to meet him on that day. You do not want to meet him in this manner. He said, I want to give you flowing a land flowing with milk and honey, if you love me. But if you're going to hate me, you're going to meet me in wrath. And I know hell isn't real popular to teach about, but it really is a loving thing. I love, last night was the release of The Lion King. I didn't go see it yet. Some of y'all have already probably seen. But I love lions. My wife says, how can you watch your 1,000th lion show? I don't know. I, I love I love lions, they're majestic creatures, but if you see a sign that says, do not enter the cage, it's a loving reminder. <laughs> if a 500-pound, teeth-clawed beast gets a hold of you, you are going to wish someone told you it's not your common house cat to get in there with, right? And God says, trust me when I say, read the sign. Follow me, love me, and obey me, and I will, I will love you. But if you want to resist me, 
I've created you to either follow me, or if you want to reject me, you'll suffer the consequences. No one will ever be able to blame God if they go to hell. They have sent themselves there. Amen? Right. Or if they have no peace in the Christian life, it's our own doing. Because God says, come to me, and I will bless you. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. Had to set some context for just a minute because, I don't know if you know, but the, Hebrew, the name Hebrews sounds very Jewish, doesn't it? Synonymous, right? They're called the book of Hebrews because it's two. It was primarily two, not exclusively two, but two written to Jewish believers. So look, let's pick it up with chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'll just read uh, verses 1 through 3 to start off with. We'll, we'll catch some of the other verses as we go through. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Remember we just read the promise? The promise was what? A land flowing of milk and honey. Same promise here. In other words, it's pointing back to the Old Covenant, back to the fact that God had promised them a land that they would enter, a promise of entering His rest. Let us, let us, fear, uh, let us fear it, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, he's taking the metaphor of what took place in the past and now applying it to the present that there is a rest that God wants to give the New Testament believer. Does that make sense? So he's saying, just like there was a rest promised in the land, there is a now rest promised to the new covenant believer in Jesus. Verse 2, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Them is going back to the Old Testament, that the gospel was preached to the children of Israel. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith of those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again, there's the wrath of God for those that resist him and say, I don't want your rest, I want my own rest. God says, you won't get that, you'll get my wrath. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. I'll go ahead and read a couple more. Verse 4, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rests on the seventh day from his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and to those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. It wasn't that they didn't have the opportunity to have that rest. They disobeyed God. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, David means is synonymous with Psalms here. Uh, today, after such a long time, as it had been, as it had been said, which is Psalm 95, by the way, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, now we see the transition from Joshua to, uh, Moses to Joshua. For if Joshua, who took them into the promised land, had given them rest, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore, there, therefore, uh, there remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let's pray. Lord, we want to understand your rest this morning. We want to rest in your rest. And Lord, we don't want to in any way disobey and experience your displeasure. And even worse, if someone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, your wrath. But Lord, we want to come to our senses. And Lord, enter in, spiritually speaking, to a land flowing with milk and honey and rest. Lord, speak to us by your Spirit. You wrote these things because you love us with an everlasting love. And help us to understand that, Lord, that your warnings are actually love as well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word rest? When you hear the word rest? If someone says, I got some much-needed rest this weekend. Or, man, I could use some rest. Do you picture rest as laying on the couch, really, really skilled in watching four shows at one time because of the magic of a remote control, right? Or maybe just being off work is your picture of rest. I don't have to go into work today. On vacation. A lot of times we need rest after a vacation, don't we? Because we like dummies, squeezed way too much stuff in there, right? We're going to see it all. 
Even people from that city hadn't seen places we saw. You know, like <laughs> that part of town exists. Yes, we saw it all, and we're exhausted. The word rest can mean several things, uh, such as sleep. Sleep is, is, is the word rest can mean sleep. But uh, if an object comes to rest, like a train comes to a full stop, it's come to rest. Stop moving. But as it relates to the biblical representation here and elsewhere in Scripture, rest is something God wants to bring to us. Now, in 2019, but more importantly, well, not more importantly, but uh, connected for all eternity. Webster's defines rest. Uh, You kids don't know what Webster's is. It's this book. (laughs) We used to have to, like, Look it up. We didn't have Google or Bing or anything like that. This is a book. It's about yay thick. And you'd find words, and if they, they weren't new words, they weren't in there, right? It's just whatever Webster's had, that's what you would thumb through for your book reports. It's all like, you have to have a definite Webster's. It's a book, kids. Go find it. Um, but Webster's defines rest as freedom from activity, freedom from labor, peace of mind or spirit. The Greek word for rest here in verse 1, also verse 3 and several other places in what we just read, uh, the Greek word and the Hebrew word, which is David uh, is referenced there in Psalm 95, both means um, a resting place, a resting place. God wants to bring you to a resting place. But also, the Hebrew word has the connotation of quietness. I just read recently a study that showed that mice, when they get two hours of quiet, their brain cells start to rebuild. That ought to tell us something. We're losing brain cells because we have no quiet. God did say, be still and know that I am God. The Greek word has a connotation of calming winds, winds that come to a calm. How does that sound to your soul? Calming winds, quietness, resting place, peace of mind. My guess is it sounds like fresh water on a blazing hot day like today. And only Jesus has this water. Only Jesus has this rest. He's ready to give it. Do you know that he he wants to give it more than we want to receive it? I, I, I have a hard time with that sometimes because I think, no, no, I must want it more than God. No, God says, no way. I want to give it more than you want it. If we're ready to receive it according to his commandments, according to his commandments, we we can't deviate. It's got to be his way. There's not a second way. There's not a third way. There's one way. Jesus said there's one door to which you must enter. If you're taking notes, you see the title of our time in the Word this morning, The Place of Rest, starting off in Hebrews chapter 4. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in the book of Hebrews. It's good to get back. But the first thing we want to take a look at this morning, as is my custom, we'll look at three things this morning. The first is this promise. If you're taking notes, the promise. There is a promise that's spoken of right out of the gate in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Aren't you glad that God is the true promise keeper? You and I, we're the promise breakers, aren't we? All of us, I don't care how diligent you are, you'll break a promise sometime this year, won't you? You'll break a lot of promises to yourself. Remember New Year's resolutions? We just talked about the mid-year, I had a mid-year message last week, I think it was one of the most important messages I've taught this year. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it because I believe it's important that we all understand the confidence we have in the Lord, the consecration that God requires of us, and the concentration on the things of the kingdom. But... We all break promises. We break a lot of them to ourselves. Like, uh, here's one for me. I will be in bed at this time. <laughs> I'm slapping myself. <laughs> I get one more thing in. I do this. Last week in Habakkuk 2, we considered the promise of renewal, restoration, and deliverance, and the answer to prayers and petitions as we patiently wait, but while we walk, and while we work all in the Lord. And it's important that we, that we do all of that in the Lord because otherwise we're doing it in our flesh and it's a striving. But any promise that has yet to be fulfilled or has only been partially fulfilled 
is something that, by definition, we're waiting on it. Amen? Amen? If it's not been fully fulfilled, we're still waiting on it. Last week, we focused on growing during the waiting. Growing during that waiting. Because even in waiting, even in groaning, we can be growing. And the imperative of our confidence in the Lord, or the Word, our consecration to His will and our concentration on His kingdom, while we wait and while we live uh, our lives for the Lord, that helps us to be while we're becoming. We're, Lord, we're going to be patient and we're going to be grateful and we're going to be dependent while we become what it is you want us to be. And that was true for the children of Israel. Imagine you're 40 years in the wilderness. Talk about it's not getting any better. Every day looks the same for 40 years. It's pretty rough. And yet those that held on, uh, Moses said, not a single one of you have been lost, not one. You've all been able to get to the place where you're, you're about to enter in. Of course, Joshua would take them all the way in. But the promises of God, they require a response from us. Verse 1, therefore, since a promise remains of enters, let us. There's a, there's a response required. A response of what? A response of faith. You have to believe the promises of God. I have to believe the promises of God. We see this again and again in the Scriptures, and there's no exception here. Even today, you are here by faith. You're here by faith. You believe that there's something, the reason you came today, and you got out, and you got out in 100 degrees or whatever it is out there, and you said, I'm going to go to church. You believe God has something to say to you. There's a little bit of faith in all of you getting here today. But faith, it's coming to worship and hear the Word of God. Yeah, you have a faith that, that this pleases God. You have a faith that, that just being present is going to bless other people. I've talked about this a lot of times. A lot of times you don't feel like going. You say, Lord, at least use me to bless somebody else. That's, a, that's faith. Lord, that, that even me and all of my imperfections, I'm speaking of all of us here, and all of my imperfections have something to offer somebody else just by hanging with them, just by sitting beside them, just by worshiping beside them. And you have faith that, Lord, I need to come to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I need just to know, Lord, I need to be taught your word and be conformed a little bit to you. By the way, when I preach, I'm teaching to myself as well. I'll never stop. Or perhaps you're here by force. We've got a lot of teens back in the corner. <laughs> you don't really want to be here. If you had your way, you'd be somewhere else. That was me as a teenager, and we have teens here that love the Lord. I don't know. I, I don't think any adults were kidnapped and brought here. But, uh, but again, maybe if you're here by force, or maybe you're not here by force, you're here because you feel guilty. You say, man, I, I better get to church. I just feel guilty. God doesn't want you to feel guilt. He wants you to know truth and say, Lord, I want to... Conviction he wants to bring. Conviction, and he will use guilt, by the way. But again, it's not... God doesn't want to guilt us into the Christian walk. He wants us to respond to truth and respond by faith. Um, you know, some people may come to church and say, well, I just want to make sure I get all my bases covered so nothing... I can experience a few bad things, but if I go to church, not the really bad stuff. But none of those are the reasons God wants you to be here by faith believing that he has something he wants to do in your life. He wants to change us, transform us. Lord wants you here because you believe his promises and because you're ready to what? Possess the promises of God. That's what Moses continued to say to the children. He goes, you will go in and possess the land. Possess the land. He says it again and again. You would possess the land. For us, the New Testament, is that we would possess the promises that Jesus gave. He said, I've come that you would have life and have it what? More abundantly. He either was telling the truth or he wasn't. I believe he was telling the truth. I know he was telling the truth. So I want to possess that. Jesus, if that's what you've said, I want to know the abundant life, the flowing with milk and honey life in my Christian walk. And here is a promise of rest. Now, it says entering his rest. And whenever you see the word entering, that requires a direction. If you go to an amusement park, you can't enter through the back. 
Unless you want to get arrested, and then and, and you can, but you can give it a shot. But you have to know the direction that you're entering. Entering requires a direction, so it's important how we enter something. And remember, the primary audience, as I mentioned already, the primary audience, the author was writing this letter was to first and foremost Jewish believers, early first century Jewish believers that had come to faith in Yeshua, come to faith in the Messiah, and they had a knowledge of the Tanakh. They had a knowledge of the Old Testament. And so he uses a lot of Old Testament stories and things that God did with ancient Israel to portray that they foreshadowed the work in the church. Again, the promises to Israel, by the way, the promises that they would be a chosen people, that was not only literally true and will remain prophetically true all the way to the end of the millennium reign of Christ, but it's also true for the church in the sense, as Paul writes in Romans, we are grafted in, so we are inheriting the same promises. I'm never going to be Jewish, but I am grafted into God's chosen people. Does that make sense? And yet God has a full fulfillment for the nation state of Israel, but he also has a chosen people that's the larger umbrella of all believers. So I don't have time to go into that anymore. But anyway, that, get, that gives you a, a, a primer, if you will, here. So he's writing to the Jewish believers, but it's also written to the whole church because all of us, whether you're Gentile, which is most of us, this is written to all of us. Uh, but they would have been familiar, as he's writing these Jewish believers, they would have been familiar with the promised land and the rest of coming out of slavery, out of bondage, and out of the desert. So Egypt, then the wilderness, neither are good. Uh, well, I was a slave for this amount of years, and then I was in the desert. Now, actually, uh, the only ones that come out of the desert are those that were over the age of 20 that weren't part of God says, all right, because of your rebellion, you're going to fall in the desert. But those who are over 20, now they're like 40 or they're 60 or whatever, they will then enter, or under the age of 20 at that time, they'll enter in to the promised land. But this promise of that specific rest is not just any rest, but it says here that they would enter my rest, his rest, verse 1, capital H-I-S, God's rest, his specific rest. This isn't a promise of R&R. It's not a promise of American thinking rest and relaxation. But a rest that comes where? Inwardly. Inwardly from God. The world can't give you an inward rest. All it can give you is outward stuff. It can give you swimming pools. It can give you calm serenity. It can give you, you know, uh, the massage place. I hear this music. It's the far east, this, that, or the other, or whatever. You know, they, they can give you bamboo trees and oils and all that stuff. But none of that stuff, I'm not saying all that's, you know, if you're, I love oils. Great, great. But uh, <laughs> I love olive oil, but uh, on food. But uh, anyway, all of these things, they can't give you an inward rest. But promises, they have to be both believe and claimed. Believed and claimed. And this is the thrust of the writer's exhortation here. The promises have been given to us through what? The preaching of the word. Look at what it says here in verse 2. For the gospel was preached to them. A lot of people, a lot of pastors, they don't even preach anymore. The only way you preach is if you authoritatively give God's word. Preaching requires the presentation, the exhortation, the exaltation of the Word of God. It is basically saying, thus saith the Lord. And then it's also exhortation, and you can do this because God can help you. But He wants you to believe the promises, He wants you to claim the promises, and then you have to articulate the promises, which is to actually read the Word of God. Pastors that today are reading not even a single verse or maybe a little tiny bit and not expounding the Word of God, there's no authority there. There's only authority with the Word of God, so it has to be preached. Take note, if you're taking notes, uh, we'll take a look at the second point, the preaching. Very important that down through the ages, God has used the preaching of His Word to communicate to us and those that would come to faith. Take note that the Greek construction of that phrase, lest any of you seem to have fallen short, and back in verse 1, lest any of you seem to have fallen short. The Greek construction 
uh, is that that indicates a long-term continued either disobedience, going back to the understanding of uh, the children of Israel. It's understanding that you could be in a long-term continued disobedience or grumbling or sin of some kind, and it seems to suggest that if you stay there continually, that you still have an unbelieving heart, lest you fall short, lest it be proven that you did not have a believing heart, you had an unbelieving heart, which is why you stayed mired for year after year after year in complaining, in sin, in disobedience, and really no one knew it but you and God, or maybe some people do know it, and you still stay in that condition that he is warning against. Remember, the warnings of God are actually love. One of the major aspects of preaching is to ensure that nobody misses what God wants to give, i.e. his promises. Amen? Amen? One of the major aspects of preaching is God doesn't want you to miss the promises. So the word must be preached. That's what he says. For indeed the gospel is preached to them as well as to us. God's, God is saying, in every age I'm going to make sure that the gospel is preached. Preaching is to bring about change. Change where? Change in the heart. And all generations get the preaching of God. Even 2019, America does not want the preaching of God. It's going to get it anyway. Amen. One way or another, God will preach his word through his servants. And you and I, by the way, you are preaching the word when you're saying, hey, I read in the Bible to someone you know, or hey, I, I, in my devotion, that's preaching the word as well. You're presenting the word. It may not be from a pulpit, but you're still presenting the word of God. But all generations will receive from God because he wants all to hear. In 2 Peter 3.9, you know this passage. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. There's that promise again. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Hasn't God been patient with us? Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance God wants to see everyone change their course, take a 180 and say, I was wrong, Lord. I've been living this way, and you've been telling me to come home, and I've come to my senses. The Lord wants us to receive his promises so that nobody misses them. God doesn't want anyone to miss them, not anywhere in the world, not any of the seven continents, not the Pacific Islands, nowhere. But we have a choice, don't we? And so did ancient Israel, even well before ancient Israel, before Abraham was ever raised up. Noah's time had a choice. The whole world chose, we don't want you. Noah and his family found rest. The rest of the world found wrath. But the preaching of God's word is met with either belief or unbelief. There's not a third option. To delay is unbelief. Because you really don't believe, well, I, I think that... Uh, I'm, not, I'm, still, I'm still kind of figuring it out. God's not asked us to figure it out. He's asked us to believe what he said. By the way, it gets really easy when you stop trying to figure everything out and you just say, this is what God says. Genuine belief is not just knowledge. Genuine belief is not just knowledge. He said uh, in, in the passage here, let us um, fearless, and if you seem to have come short, for indeed the gospel was preached to them as well, uh, or preached to us as well as them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith for those who heard it. For we who have believed, a lack of faith is unbelief. Faith is actually belief. But genuine belief is not just knowledge. There's no real value in just knowing truth. Get just roll through a stop sign that you know you're supposed to stop and tell the officer, yeah, I knew it said stop, so I should get off, right? Because I knew it said stop. He said, well, if you knew it said stop, then you should have stopped. Well, I just thought you wanted me to just read it and just know what it meant. And I, I intellectually understood that means stop, so therefore I'm good to go, right? No, no, you were supposed to read it and stop. And people have this argument with God like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even propose such an argument with a police officer, but yet with God, they want to have this argument. Yeah, I know what it says, but I want to do this. G. Campbell Morgan said, the picture of the whole generation who perished in the wilderness is brought to mind. And the question is, what did they lack and why did they perish? 
They did not lack the message of good tidings. They were told about the milk and honey, right? They didn't lack the message of good tidings. It was preached to them by Moses, of course. They did not fail to hear the message. The reason was that the word of hearing did not profit them because it was, uni it was not united by faith with them that heard. Where faith is lacking, the provisions of God are unavailing. Where faith is lacking, the provisions of God are unavailing. It's not, G. Campbell Morgan was saying, it, it wasn't that they didn't hear the right message. They heard it, they just didn't believe it. Only remember, two of the spies thought they could even take the land. God said that, that he would, he said, I'll go before you, I'll drive the enemies out. So two said, if God's going to drive the enemies out, then I should go. The other ten said, uh-uh, we can't trust him. I mean, yeah, he did defeat Pharaoh. That was pretty cool. Yes, he did get us through the Red Sea. That was amazing. Yeah, he did do the manna thing, but he can't handle the Canaanites. How often do we think like this? Well, God, you saved me. You did this. You did that. But there's no way you can handle this problem in my life. So I'm going to have like eight glasses of wine to just forget about it. People do that. The rest of God... The rest that God wants to give has been preached and presented from the very beginning, first by God himself, then the prophets, and then the law. Equally, the risk of me missing that rest has been preached as well. So the rest has been preached, but also the warning of missing it has been preached. In other words, from the beginning, God has made it a priority in his love for mankind to say, here is my rest, and here's where you enter my rest. And any other attempt is going to miss it. Any other road, any other route, any other door is not going to work. Sadly, so many in the church today, just like those with Moses and Joshua, are resisting the rest and promise of God because they deeply doubt the instruction manual, the Word of God. You might be here and say, I read the Bible, but do you believe the Bible? Many deeply doubt the Word of God. Well, I'm not sure if these promises, I don't know about, I don't know about that. Um, I think I'll try this instead. I, one of my coworkers is doing this, and it's working great for them. Do they know Jesus? No. Are you believing what God has preached and presented through his servants and through his Word? We're going to get later to Hebrews, and there's a cloud of witnesses because God's saying, these are those that heard my promises, believed my promises, tried them, applied them, believed them, claimed them, and now they're with me. And they're looking down, uh, or they will be eventually, no matter what, and they have seen God was faithful and true. The promised land was a picture of life. Remember, the promised land was not a picture of heaven. Because there's no enemies in heaven. There's enemies in the promised land. There's still things that he said he wouldn't rid, rid the land of all the wild beasts immediately. It would be a little by little thing, the, the scriptures tell us. So that's not in heaven either. So there was things, there were still diseases there. It's not a picture of heaven, but it is a picture because of the flowing with milk and honey. It is a picture of the life lived in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, because of the Spirit, out of you would flow rivers of living water. That's the New Testament milk and honey is the rivers of living water that come from the Holy Spirit. Um, as we take a look at uh, this picture um, and compare what God wants us to have versus what we're seeing today, think about the fact that one Sunday a week Christianity or in today's America, as a study I recently read, a very exhaustive study concluded, in today's America, uh, considered to be a regular attender of church, attends three out of every eight weeks. In the article I read in Outreach Magazine, this is not a walk of faith, and this is not God's rest. This is some new definition that people have come up with that define that's their definition and say, I'm going to sign, God, sign off on this. That was considered a regular attendee by the study, but certainly not a regular attendee by God. From the beginning, God has made it clear 
that we would need to set aside. From the very beginning, God's made it clear we would need to set aside a time to rest from our works and the busyness of life and focus on him. By the way, he's never changed his mind on this from the very beginning. And to gather as an assembly and to worship him. He's not changed his mind yet. This is still his will. Um, a Spanish proverb I read uh, this week, I thought it was really cool. It's not a, not a scripture, but, but it has, uh, I think, some truth here that I see in scripture. It says, how beautiful it is to do nothing, then rest afterward. How beautiful it is to do nothing, then to rest afterward. And I believe, again, God is word when he says, be still, know that I'm God. God is known. He goes, you need to rest with me more than you know you need to rest with me. But you're trying to do it some other way. Say, well, church, if I go rest there and worship God, then I'm losing this amount of time and this amount of time. And I, instead, I'm just going to cut the grass real early and then chill the rest of the day. God says, that'll never work. You're doing it your own way again. We sang in our recent prayer, prayer night, we had a prayer night a couple Saturday nights ago, we sang the song, Heart of Worship. And the words of that song say, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you. It's a quiet focus on the Lord that God is saying, I want you to still your mind and focus on me, not all these other things. The Sabbath itself, it tells about God resting on the seventh day. The Sabbath itself plays a pivotal role in Israel as a nation. It's referenced here in our text. But it's the heart of worship that God is looking for. It's the heart of worship. And the true worshipers, according to John 4, Jesus said the Father was looking for true worshipers. In other words, there's false worshipers. But the Father is looking for true worshipers, and those that believe and obey the commands of God are the true worshipers. It's not to say, well, I said a prayer a long time ago. That's my proof. No, the proof is, are you obeying and walking in the ways of the Lord? That is the proof of the true worshipers. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord and don't obey what I say? That's a pretty direct question, isn't it? Jesus would say to every single person that names the name of Jesus, why do you even bother calling me Lord? You don't listen to what I say. And this is what Moses and Joshua warned the children of Israel. The reason some of you will not enter in the promised land is you hear, but you won't obey. You see the stop sign, but you just roll right through it because you say, yeah, I read it. But I have another, I have my own way of doing things. Officer, stop wasting my time. Stop signs are for everybody else. Yeah, you, you'll get more time with the officer. Uh, you're going to get to know each other really well, right? But yet people talk to God like that, not necessarily verbally, but their actions. That's the way they kind of respond. Go, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you said, but you don't really mean it, and I'll do what I want to do. And In Christ, we now have the liberty. Uh, we have the liberty of the fact that it, we have... We can worship Jesus, we're worshiping on the first day of the week, which many people in the early church began to do. And, and so we have the liberty uh, that Paul said you're not end under the obligation anymore of new moons and Sabbaths and things like that. But we have the liberty, but we are still required by faith to gather and to rest and to find a time to be still and dedicate time to the Lord. That God's not changed on that. It's still the New Testament church began to meet more often, not less often. More often, whereas today in America, more and more people, they've turned liberty into license. So I don't just do what I want to do. I'm, I'll go when I want to go because I have liberty. Uh, no, we still have the heart of worship that God's talking about. The heart of worship says, no, I want... I used to tell my coworker all the time that when I... When I was in the business world, he said, yeah, you got to go to church. I said, no, I don't have to go. I get to go. I get to go. Because the heart of worship says, no, I'm now one with the Lord. I want to spend that time. But the spirit of the Sabbath and the heart of worship hasn't changed. Look at verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. Believed. 
is the key word there. Verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter and to whom is first preached because of disobedience, we see that there is this uh, constant tension between do we believe or do we not believe? If we believe, then we get to enter that rest that God is willing to give to the believing, to the willing, to the thankful, and the surrendered hearts. Notice the admonition in verse 7. And again, he designates a certain day in David, again, Psalm, uh, today, after such a long time has been said, today, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. The admonition is what? Today. Today. July 21st, God is saying, if you're hearing my word today, don't wait any longer to believe and to start to enter and find the rest that I have promised that you would enter if you would believe and walk in my grace. God says, today, not, not tomorrow, not next week, don't put it off a year. Say, today I resolve the Lord, I'm going to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength with the help of your Holy Spirit. To hear and respond, if you will hear his voice, hear his voice. Jesus said, all you have ears, let them hear. A lot of times people have ears, but their ears aren't hearing, right? Jesus said, you might want to clear the wax, spiritual wax out, and hear from me today. Do not harden our hearts. What's the opposite of harden our hearts? Soften our hearts. That's the admonition. Soften your hearts. Truly, the hearts of many are so hard today. So hard. You could show them every evidence they're not interested my way or the highway, right? Yet many people still want God. That, oh, so I should say this. Yeah, they do. Many people still want God's rest because they'll say, man, I, pre, please pray for me. They just don't want the God of rest. They want God's rest, just not God. They want Jesus' peace, just not Jesus. They want whatever Jesus had to offer, just not his commands, not his cross, none of that stuff. If prayer, let me give an example, if prayer is absent from your life, if the word is not part of your daily life, even though Jesus said specifically when you pray, <laughs> daily bread, he said you would need the word of God daily. And I'm not saying that, boy, if you didn't read the word every single day, you know, you missed it in life. It's not, yes, God covers that. But do you have a desire that compels you the same way it compels you to eat breakfast? It says, I must be in the word. Because I believe, I believe that that's more powerful than the cornflakes. I believe that. If you think that gathering weekly to worship is simply too much for you to give, if you can't find any time for discipleship, no desire to really worship the Lord in song, um, well, you may find moments of entertainment and fun in life, but you will not find rest. Amen. Know it. For sure, God says you will not find rest. You'll find some other substitute. You'll find something that will pacify you for moments, but you will not find rest. Impossible. And again, you're sadly in the same exact opposition as unbelievers are. They do the same. They don't need those things, or they won't, they won't obey God in those areas either. So this is the admonition. This is the warning in verses 3 and verse Verse 5, he says in verse 5, they shall not enter my rest. God says, if they resist me, I'm resisting them. That's a strong warning, isn't it? God's not playing games, but he loves us enough to say, this is how you enter my rest. There's not another option, but if you want to receive the blessing of me, it's time to obey me. I, I don't mind God speaking sternly to me. I, I was telling the guys this, uh, I don't know where I was this week, um, you remember I told you last week, you know, God, I, Moses and God, Moses became so close to God that God would talk to him firmly but casually. Listen to the two phrases that really struck me as I was studying uh, Moses' life. And, you know, I told you last week the verse that I've been meditating on, and God said to Moses, you've skirted this mountain long enough, head north. This sounds like a dad talking to a son. You've skirted this mountain long enough, head north. Moses repleads to go into the promised land, and, you know, God says to him, enough. We've talked about this enough. I don't know about you, 
But a God who gave Moses the power twice for 40 days, he didn't eat or drink to live, is a God I want to listen to. Twice he went 40 days, no food, no water, and he lived because God sustained him. So Moses, whenever God would actually say, this is the way you need to do it, he'd say this, yes, sir. But a lot of people in the church, they say, God says, do it, say, I don't know about that. <laughs> that doesn't make me happy. That seems really legalistic. That seems this. That seems that. And God's like, when did I ever ask you to author the Bible? Do you want rest or not? If I say to my kids, you'll get, a, you'll get the most awesome meal if everybody goes and gets showered and is back here in 30 minutes. It's their choice if they miss out on that. They say, oh, I don't want to do that. And then later, they go to bed hungry or something. Now, we've never had to do this. I'm just giving an example because we have girls. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> I used to be a son, so my dad, we had a lot, you know, these kind of things. But, but it would be my fault or their fault if we said, no, I don't want to do it that way. I said, but this would be awesome. And we're going to everything, all your favorite foods, all just 30 minutes, be back here, showered, and we're, nope, don't want to do it. Later you're starving, whining, crying. That's the church. God says, I told you you'd enter in, but you don't want to enter in. You still want to fight me on this. So sadly, many are in the same opposition as, as non-believers. Um, again, they know what God has said. They know what he's promised. Uh, but it's very important that we don't just know it, but we secure the promises through faith and belief. Only believing and acting on it will appropriate the promises of God. But if we believe and we have both the faith to say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do it as you say, we find a present rest and a future rest. You have the hope of heaven. You can keep looking for it. Ultimately, the rest of God, as we come to this final point, we'll come to a close here. The rest of God is not a thing. It's not a day. It's not a place. It's not a feeling. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. Joshua, it says here, therefore there remains, in verse 8, therefore, uh, sorry, Back to verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. Joshua, whose name is in the, in the Greek, you get Yeshua or Jesus. Joshua brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey. But, but the writer is now transitioning from the direct comparison of saying they didn't enter rest and we won't enter rest without the same faith, belief, and obedience to God. But he said even beyond that, let me expand the spiritual parameters here. He's saying... There's a greater rest that Joshua could never present to them. Rivers are nice, but Joshua himself couldn't reach into heart and drop in rest. Therefore, it remains a rest for the people of God, verse 9, for he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his also. Even here, we see that our salvation is not works-based, I'm not coming to church to work for my faith. I'm coming to church because I have faith. Not to work for it, but because I have it. And then to worship is a desire of, that springs up through obedience, and then through obedience becomes the flowing of the spirit of refreshing. And then you're like, it's this cycle of, wow, the more I worship, the more I want to worship. Joshua was a forerunner to Christ. A picture of Christ taking the people into that land flowing with milk and honey, a place where we grow and the enemies of God are slowly but surely defeated and holiness in us rises up. That was the picture that Joshua would take them in. Eventually the temple would be built. All that would take place. Now Joshua, he could provide a temporal rest but not an eternal rest. He could point to a spiritual rest and he did point to a spiritual rest but Jesus is the spiritual rest. He is the rest. Oh, uh, listen close these last few minutes. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said these words, and you've heard them, but I want to have them piggyback back to back and help you understand. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. rest. Jesus is the, he owns the whole 
You know, if you owned 100% stock of a company, you own the whole thing. Jesus, has, Jesus owns 100% of all rest. There's no one else that owns a piece of it. It's all his to give out as he desires to give. So he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Have you entered the first rest, which is salvation? He says, come to me. What is the heavy laden here? The heavy laden is he removes the load of guilt, sin, shame, and the weight of sin. That's the heavy laden he's talking about. Those of you that are heavy laden, I remember when I got saved, me and my wife walked forward, 1995, Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, the weight of sin lifted off our shoulders. The guilt of judgment lifted off our shoulder. That's the first rest Jesus was talking about. Are you heavy laden with the weight of sin, guilt, and shame? Once that comes off, then his robes of righteousness are put on us. But that's not where it stops. It's not smooth sailing after that. Did you know that? Some things actually got harder. It is not smooth sailing after that because there remains a Sabbath rest to come, which is eternal, which will make the former things just disappear. There remains a rest to come. Heaven remains. But once you're truly saved... Yes, you now have the weight of sin gone, but now you have a target on your back, and Satan says, this one needs a tax. Now you have a target on your back, and Satan will fight you like crazy to keep you from authentic rest and instead having you chase fake rest, the world's rest, the American definition of rest. Keep your eyes on Jesus and the promised land of his grace and his rest. Moses didn't get distracted. Joshua didn't get distracted. Caleb didn't get distracted, and they found the real rest. Everybody else fell apart and fell in the wilderness. We'll need the rest of the Holy One to rest our restless minds, won't we? In restless times like these days in which we're living in. Our time on earth is a proving ground of our faith that comes with genuine conversion. It's not, we don't purchase our faith, we receive our faith. That was done by Jesus and his blood. He purchased our faith. But we still have this proving ground because the gift of salvation is then received by faith, but it's the birthplace of a life of faith. Amen? Your faith didn't end there. That's, that's, that was the beginning point. That was the starting point of your marathon walk of faith. The evidence of having received the gift of faith is our consecration to the Lord and our submission to the Lord. If you're not consecrated to the Lord, not submissive to the Lord, it doesn't mean you're not saved, but there's not real much evidence of it. I was listening to Dr. Tito's uh, recent message. Um, if you guys didn't hear it, go back and listen to it a couple weeks back. And he mentioned that our repentance on the day of salvation is not a one-time event, but it's a lifestyle of repentance. Do you believe that? I do. It's preached all through Scripture. It's a lifestyle of repentance. We, we, we come daily as living sacrifices. Uh, the same is true of rest. Uh, it's a lifestyle of entering into the rest of God, to believe in the rest of God. Our entering, back to verse 1, entering that promised rest is the starting point in our life, and rest begets rest. Rest begets rest. Worship begets worship. Prayer begets prayer. But all these are part and parcel of those that have found his rest. But it's always and only found in the person of Jesus. The tabernacle and the temple, you know they're gone now? On the earth. There's no tabernacle and there's no temple in Jerusalem right now. There's a, there's a mosque sitting where the temple was. So they can't even go worship in the temple, which was required. There is no temple to go worship in. Ah, oh, but there is a temple. The invisible temple of Jesus is in us. Amen? Jesus said, I'm going to tear that temple down, and I'm going to be the temple. There's no physical temple there. Jesus is the temple. Now, there will be a rebuilt temple in the millennium, but that is to fulfill what Israel never fulfilled in their nation state. They'll finally fulfill it, but God says, I'm the living temple. Jesus said, I'm the temple. Tear this temple down. Three days, I'll raise it right back up. Jesus is the rest. Jesus is the temple. So I just read in Matthew eleven twenty eight where it says Jesus is calling the lost and he wants to give them rest. Let me remind you of what he says next, and this will be our closing. Jesus speaks first of those who are coming to him. All you are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. 
Then after, he says this, um, Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you hear the second part of what he's saying? First he said, come to me, all your heavy laden. Now the laden's gone. But he says, you still may be lacking some of the rest. He says, you're going to have to put my yoke on you. Uh, what? A yoke? That's for oxen. Jesus wants to put a yoke on me. He says, but it's light, and it'll give you rest for your souls. Many people in the body of Christ, the reason they have no rest is they resist the yoke of Christ. They don't want the yoke of Christ. They say, well, that's, that, that seems too restrictive. Jesus says, but, do, but I'll give you rest for your souls. I don't believe that. I believe the only way I'll get rest is if I get a raise at work or a better vacation or a nicer car or better food or this. Jesus said, but that's not my yoke. That's the world's, that's, Satan's been, he, he took me to the desert and offered me all that. Remember the Jesus uh, temptation in the wilderness? Satan offered him all that. Jesus said, none of that stuff provides rest. Get me behind me. Get out of my face. Right? So Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me. You have to learn rest. You have to learn it. And you learn it through obedience to Christ. If you're still alive, you have a lot more to learn about the rest of Jesus. You're all alive because I see you. And I have a lot more to learn. I've been sent back several grades numerous times to relearn this whole rest thing in Jesus. I have to put the yoke on and learn of him and to understand that his rest does not come outside his commands. We have the promise of a present rest and the hope of a future rest. It's infinitely beyond any of our experience and expectations, this future rest. But until then, we need to get out from under the worldly yokes got to take the world of yokes off. They want to put a yoke on you too. It's a yoke of deception, false peace. And we got to put on the yoke of Christ, which is obedience and faith that we would enter into his rest. I've already entered into salvation. Lord, now teach me what it means to have rest for my soul. Jesus said you would have to learn it, but he'd give you the Holy Spirit, who's the comforter and the teacher, he would teach you how to enter his rest. Because some of you say, but I'm, I'm in the word and I'm, I'm still fighting. The good. Yeah, you have an enemy against you. Jesus said, you keep the yoke on me, you're going to plant a lot of seeds and you're going to learn rest. But you'll have to keep the yoke on and promise. It's weird. A yoke on me is going to bring rest in my soul. If God said it, you can believe it. Amen? Amen? Those are the promises of God. Closing, asking you this. Brother and sister, are you entering this holy rest, are you resisting it? Are you entering into it, or are you resisting it? Jesus said, I want to give it to you. I want you to enter in, but take my yoke upon me. My burden is light, and I'm going to give you rest for your souls. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you're trustworthy, that your promises are true. Lord, that you desire to give us rest more than we want it. But you also warn us not to take a different path, not to take a different route. Lord, you want to bless us with the flowing of the Holy Spirit, a metaphor of milk and honey in our life. But, Lord, it has to be on your terms. Lord, we don't want to read stop signs and roll right through them. We want to stop at them and not get broadsided because we were neglecting your commands. And Lord, I just stopped right now, and, and Lord, I know in this room that there are people that are not so restful today, but you want to give rest. And Lord, I just pray that each person in their heart right now would just pray, Lord, I'm done resisting your path, and Lord, I'll put the yoke of Jesus on me that I would enter in and see victory, and see enemies defeated in my life, and see, Lord, uh, the cleansing power of Jesus. Before we close in worship, I just want to, Jesus had those two statements, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I want to ask the question, is there anyone here that you want to raise your hand and say, I've not entered the first rest. I've never given my life to Christ for salvation. I've never received 
the lifting off of guilt and sin and shame. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Anyone at all? I was just reminded, reading D.L. Moody just this week, he made the big mistake of not giving the salvation. Then the, uh, the very next week, there was a great fire, and many people died. And he said it was a reminder to him that he can't let people wait a week. Even the text said today, didn't it? Today. Today decide, Lord, I want to be forgiven. I want to know I have the hope of heaven. Anyone at all? The rest of you, with your heads bowed, say, I've, not, I've kind of been distracted and not really been wearing the yoke of Jesus that promises rest for my soul. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you too. Yeah, it's, we can be deceived easily by our own flesh. Lord, you see these hands and I pray, Father, that you would let them know that the safest, most restful, peaceful place is to say, yes, Lord, I will obey. And Lord, as we trust you, as we it's mixed with faith, say we believe that your rest is the genuine rest. And Lord, we take our eyes off the things of this world and put them back on you. Lord, that we enter into that rest and we learn from you. Lord, cleanse, forgive, and Lord, impart rest to these, your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may stand as we close in song.